VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? We're trying to prove to the world that building homes in a factory isn't a compromise. In fact, it can be way better than conventional construction. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. Thank you for tuning in. We have a great show for you this week. We have none other than George Sherman, chief executive of GameStop, on to talk about what the hell is happening with his company. Just kidding. (laughs) Uh, Sadly, I think Mr. Sherman has other things on his mind, like... You know, his company going from $2 billion to $24 billion because a bunch of Redditors wanted to stick it to the man and make a bunch of money. You know, stuff like that. Um, did it get you? So yeah, so we don't have Mr. Sherman on the show, but we do have a fantastic guest who I think you guys are really going to enjoy uh, hearing from. And his name is Alexis Javier Rivas, and he is the co-founder of a company called Cover, which makes prefab homes but these aren't your normal prefab homes that you would see you know uh, on the back of a truck or something coming down the highway the idea is that by using some very clever algorithms they can design your home for 250 bucks now these they're starting out with smaller ones you know studios one beds two beds and then they just build it in their factory basically almost in lego form it arrives flat pack like ikea but without the instructions with that little weird blobby guy in the Ikea instruction booklets. You know who I'm talking about. Um, And they just click them all together, and it's all kind of in there already, the the wiring, the electrical, the plumbing, all that stuff. And apparently it's a very high standard. These aren't, you know, your styrofoam studios. And uh, their idea is that long-term, they'll be able to start pumping these out at a massive scale, doing it in a couple months what today would take many months or years at two, three, four times the cost of what they say they will be able to offer and can offer. And the idea is that, you know, we have this housing crisis and if we can get better at building faster, at building more cheaply, that could be a big part of the solution when it comes to just, you know, not having enough houses, which in California, that's a problem. 
in the UK, it's a problem, um, especially in California, where our homelessness uh, problem has is, is really become just a crisis. Um, now, they, of course, they have a lot to figure out, but they've raised 10 million bucks last year from Founders Fund, as well as from the, one of the biggest homemakers in, in America. And anyhow, I just thought it's a really interesting idea, just given this, this perennial issue around just getting homes built. So we talk about how they got into it, how it all works. Um, and why they think this is not going to be a niche thing right now. Obviously, it's a very, very small niche. But they think eventually it will flip. This will become the way we build homes. In a factory, you can kind of see it all laid out in your software. And then it is built, flat-packed, delivered, and then just thrown up very quickly. So it's a really interesting idea, and I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation. So without further ado, I give you Alexis Javier Rivas of Cover. Enjoy. Well, so first of all, thanks for taking the time. I was trawling around your website, and I think the idea is really fascinating, but I'd love to just get a sense of how did you get, or why did you start this, and how, how did it come about? Because I think you've been doing this now, this is a year seven? Yes, we started the company in 2014, kind of full steam ahead 2016. So what were you doing pre-2014? I was always, from a very young age, interested in architecture and construction and home building. Uh, decided to study architecture in New York. Before that, I, I worked at various architecture firms doing anything from, you know, $20 million to $120 million homes or, you know, oh, wow. regular, you know, $500,000 homes. And then also larger scale developments, right? Condominiums, uh, malls, those kinds of projects. So where, where did you grow up? Where are you from? So I grew up in Toronto, and then I moved to New York to study architecture, and uh, and moved to California uh, to Los Angeles uh, for cover. And what was interesting is, you know, even at the twenty million to one hundred twenty million dollar price point homes, right? These are very high end homes. Yeah, a, a lot of resources. Shockingly, they would still go over budget and take longer than expected, and they would run into the same issues that you would see on a on a five hundred thousand dollar house or, or a three hundred thousand dollar house. So I saw these patterns, right? These patterns of problems in the construction industry, and I, I started to ask the question: You know, why does it take so long? Why is it so expensive? Uh, and why is it such an unpredictable process? And I'll give you one example. We were working on a very high end home. This was an eighty million dollar home, and we had designed these LEDs on the top of the door frame to shine a light onto the door handle, so that at night, you know, you could see it. This was in the middle of nowhere. It got very dark at night. So nice touch, but they were charging $2,000 for this. And I was shocked because an LED is 50 cents, right? You Google it, it's yeah. 50 cents. Uh, and a transformer might be $5, right? So, you know, why is this $2,000? And what I learned was that because there was a number of people involved to implement that small little feature, it mm -hmm. was $2,000. So specifically with that example, we had to coordinate with the architect who would then coordinate with the, with the client, the general contractor. Uh, the door fabricator, the door installer who reported to the general contractor, uh, the electrician who had to figure out how this low voltage LED would fit into the rest of the home's electrical system. And once you put all of these people, you know, talking about this relatively minor feature together for, you know, 30 minutes, an hour, there's your $2,000. And so that is the problem with conventional construction over and over again, right? You're basically doing a one-off prototype with every home. Right? So it's yeah. more like a work of art in terms of the process rather than a product or production line. 
Yeah, it's funny when I when we moved into the, my current house. In terms of your scale of five hundred thousand to a uh, hundred and twenty million or whatever it is, I'm just gonna say it's on the lower end. Um, yes, but so we just had this back. Our backyard was like a patch of concrete with an ugly old tree, and I was like, oh, we should probably do something about this. And then there was a lady doing some uh, professional landscaping company doing a neighbor's yard and i was like oh would you mind coming over and just look and kind of give me a sense you know what we might be able to do here and she said she walked in and she said oh yeah we've got some ideas here but it's gonna cost you five thousand dollars just for the drawings and i was like okay so thank you very much goodbye and we'll just figure something else out but um it feels like that was that would have been the beginning of I mean, it's outdoors rather than indoors, but it's the same type of dynamic where you just, there's so many kind of mouths to feed in that whole chain of, you know, from design through to construction that the prices get really crazy. Exactly, exactly. And and so all what we're doing is we're taking the entire home building process and, and using a combination of software uh, and production lines to streamline it and, and deliver a much better product at a price that becomes affordable, right? And so, so specifically, you know, on the design side, rather than having, you know, $5,000 of design work be done manually, we've actually built software that turns that $5,000 of design work into $250 and you can get it in a couple of days rather than, you know, weeks or months. And, and that's just, you know, one step of the process, the first step of the process. So you've been at this, as you say, full steam ahead since 2016. What is the company today? What are you doing? How far along this journey of actually being able to, I presume the idea is to be able to pump out these homes with, you know, at a pretty high clip. Uh, and obviously you're starting from zero, so that's a heavy lift. But can you just give a sense of what are these buildings that you were talking about? You know, 250 bucks and you have a design in a couple of days. What, what are they? And where are you in terms of the actual production? Today... What Cover focuses on is delivering backyard homes. So these are guest houses, in-law suites, backyard rental units, backyard offices, these kinds of structures. Now, these structures have, you know, they're, they're full living units. I mean, they have a fully functioning bathroom with a shower. They have a kitchen. You know, it, it's a small home, right? And they, they range in size from, you know, 300 square feet on the small side uh, all the way up to 1,200 square feet where, where you can have a two-bedroom, two-bathroom. And the way we're doing that, the way we're delivering these homes is we've built software to streamline the entire design, engineering, even permitting process. So if you go on our website today, and this works for Los Angeles, because we're based in Los Angeles, we're currently delivering to Los Angeles. If you go to our website and you type in a Los Angeles address, it will actually tell you what the zoning allows you to build in your specific backyard for free, right? It just tells you that. Normally, that's a that's a research project in and of itself, right? You got to go talk to the zoning people, people at the city, hire an architect, consultant, pay them a bunch of money, right? And we, we we've automated that with software. So, and then we we design your backyard home. We'll tailor it to your needs. So it's not you're not picking from a catalog. Uh, you're getting a layout that suits your needs. And then uh, once you've settled on the design, the way we deliver those those backyard homes is through our set of wall panels, wall panels, floor panels, ceiling panels. You can think of them like high-tech life-size Lego blocks yep. that connect to make your home. So they have the insulation, the waterproofing, the electrical already installed from the factory. 
and they ship them flat packed on a truck and then you just rapidly assemble them on site and we will rapidly assemble them for you so that's what we're doing and how long does that assembly often you know generally take yeah so today it's taking about a month uh, you know, that's just to clarify, that's once the foundation and the utilities have all been brought in and prepped, which we also handle for you. So we are the single point of contact, right? You don't have to go to someone else. We take care of the whole process and it's, it's month, but what we're working to do, and this is where we've got an incredible engineering team, you know, literally rocket engineers and, and automotive engineers from Tesla, SpaceX, Apple, what we're working to do is get that time way down, right? How do, how do we build these in a week? And that's what we're working on. So if we just go back to kind of the beginning, um, you're working at these architecture firms, you're seeing the problems here. How do you go from that to, okay, I'm going to start a kind of software-driven startup that's going to remake how this is done? I don't imagine this is an easy idea to uh, conceive, let alone pull off and get funding for yeah. So, so the way we, we got started was, like you said, you know, seeing the problem out in the field, understanding the problem and really understanding the problem as two parts. One part is the production line side of it. And it's a huge part of it, right? Mm-hmm. How do you build homes on a production line more like how cars are made from an efficiency standpoint and a panel standpoint, right? And just to say it, there are a lot of prefab companies that had existed before cover. The big difference is that most of what they do is just take conventional construction and do the same thing inside of a factory. So they're still building with wood and drywall and, and you know hammers and nails just in a factory now. The realization that I had was that we needed to actually redesign the home from the ground up to be geared towards manufacturing from the start. So that was kind of like realization one. And then the second realization was, you know, unlike a car, uh, we can't build the same home for everyone because every property is unique, every person's unique. So I started thinking about that side of the problem and, and thought, well, this is interesting. Maybe there's an opportunity for software here. And so that's when I started chatting with my co-founder, Jamwell. So Jamwell and I went to architecture school together. He actually studied architecture because he was interested in the software that was being used in the space. So generative design, parametric design, geospatial mapping. He was the guy in our class who, you know, everyone would, des- would present, you know, this is my building, this is my design. And he would go up and present, you know, here's my algorithm. Here are the 10 buildings it outputted, right? That, that was his thing. And we started chatting about this. And, and you know, that, that's when uh, we realized that there were two parts to the solution, right? There was a Lego-like set of building panels that's made in a factory more like how cars are made. And then there's another big component of this, which is the software that makes mass customization doable. And then we said, let's, let's do it. You just said, let's do it. You quit your job and then what? Yeah, we said, we said, let's do it. And we just started working on it. And then what was your first big break in actually making this become a th- like an actual company? Yeah. So we got into the Y Combinator Fellowship uh, in oh, 2016. And uh, that's when, you know, we, we really got a lot of eyeballs on this from the investor community in Silicon Valley. And uh, at, at that point, uh, we, that's when we raised our first round of funding and started recruiting a team, right? A team of automotive engineers, aerospace engineers, uh, manufacturing engineers, people from outside of the construction industry to complement, you know, our skill set. Right. You know, oftentimes when we, we have people on the show and they talk about, oh, yeah, I, I got into Y Combinator. The story then often goes, I had this idea. I went in there and after two weeks, I was like, oh, my God, this is a terrible idea. And I had to switch or pivot or whatever. Is there anything that when you got in there, you're like, 
oh yeah, that's a this is we're gonna have to rethink this or that or whatever it may be. Yeah, there actually was. I think um, one of the things that Y Combinator is great at is pushing founders to, to focus relentlessly on a minimum viable product. Yeah. And the the big realization that we had was that you know our our goal at Cover is to make thoughtfully designed and well-built homes for everyone. And we when we say homes, we mean all kinds of homes, right? Primary homes, multifamily, all kinds of homes. But the realization that we had while we were there was that the true minimum viable product isn't a primary home. It's actually these backyard units because we can learn a lot more by delivering five 500 square foot units than one 2,500 square foot home. And the you know, what is required to deliver on one of these is a lot less. And, and, and the prototyping speed and the iteration speed goes up. So that was the realization and, and the kind of the shift in thinking was just how to go to market. Right. So going for these kind of tiny homes, backyard homes, whatever it may be, as opposed to we're going to make, you know, your typical single family dwelling. Exactly. As a starting point. Right. Yes. And you talked about housing and the way it is built, even in a prefab situation where you still have wood, drywall, nails, etc. What are you guys doing that's different? Yeah. So we've kind of approached this from a blank slate perspective. And we look at this from a first principles. What does the wall need to achieve? What are the insulation values? What are the rigidity values, the, the seismic values, sound qualities that, yeah. that the wall needs to achieve? And then what materials fulfill those features and, and performance well? And so the result is actually using fairly unconventional materials for the different components of the cover. So we don't use any drywall. For example, for our ceilings, we use aluminum and, uh, you know, it, it's a composite basically. And um, the, the result of that is that even today, you can actually service and maintain and upgrade your cover more like a car. So we can actually pull off our ceiling panels or our wall panels and access the, the plumbing, the electrical mm. behind them, and then clip them back on just, just like you can the, the body panel of a car. And so when you, when you rethink the entire way homes are built from the ground up, like not only are you going to get a building process and a manufacturing process that is more efficient, but the product itself is going to be better. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. And so what are, like, the walls made out of? And, and the, so the walls are a wood-based composite. So I can still, like, hang stuff on my walls like I would in drywall, for example. You can. Exactly. You can. And actually, we have a, we have a system. It's kind of like a, a museum gallery. Uh, where you can put little hooks on the top of the walls and hang artwork and move it around every week if you'd like without having to patch up holes, right? right? Kind of like right. fishing wire. So you can still drill into it if you'd like to and, and do it, you know, the conventional way. But we've gone even a step further and said, well, why don't we make it easy for people to, you know, rearrange their walls as frequently as they'd like, 
right? And right. Th- now we have this picture hanging system. And so how many how many homes have you guys built so far? So that's not something that, that, that I can share uh, publicly right now. Uh, we are delivering a lot of these units and it's just so that, you know, for competitive reasons. We have been delivering units in Los Angeles since 2017. Mm-hmm. And we've got a backlog of orders that we're ramping up production to fulfill. So uh, we've already nearly sold out for 2021's uh, entire production capacity. And so do you have one factory, multiple factories? Like, you know, can you talk about your capacity? Yes. So we have one factory. Uh, it's based in Los Angeles where, where we're headquartered. Um, and we, we make the panels from the factory and then assemble them rapidly on site. Right. I'm just interested in kind of generally, you know, when you're talking to investors, the reception you've received and how that may have changed over time. Because, I mean, we've had we've talked to people who are, you know, doing the, like the 3D printed home. You can like put up a home theoretically in a couple of days with, you know, a 3D printer basically laying layers of concrete or whatever it is. But there does seem to be a lot of interest in this idea of rethinking construction because it is so labor intensive and so just difficult and problematic and, you know, ridden with delays and everything else. Yes, there, there, there is a lot of interest. And I think there's a, there's a few reasons, right? There's, there's a core issue of long-term skilled labor shortage, right? Mm-hmm. Carpenters, electricians, plumbers. We just need to industrialize construction just to keep up with the demand that we're seeing in the future, both to replace existing inventory and to account for population growth. I I just want to kind of say, is it curious because you bring up the 3D printing, um, Hmm. but we haven't taken the 3D printing route. And the reason for that is, you know, we've looked at it and 3D printing makes a ton of sense when you have, you know, very complex geometry, uh, you're building low volume, you're basically moving the complexity you know, into a process that, that you can do mass customization very easily with, right? Yeah. 3D printing a home is a bit like 3D printing a, a box. You can do it, um, but it's way overkill from a process standpoint because right. most of the surfaces, they're 90 degree angles and flat surfaces. There, yeah. there are always going to be more efficient ways to build panels or structures with those kinds of properties just from a first principles standpoint. So, you know, that's why we're not taking the 3D printing route. Right. I mean, is there, I don't know, for lack of a better word, a boom happening in this world of trying to, because, you know, a lot of, you know, Mark Andreessen said famously, software is eating the world and software has changed a lot of things, but it hasn't really changed housing. Um, And it hasn't really changed a few industries that are massive but really hard and very physical, you know, it's the world of atoms, but it's, I just find it interesting, you know, what you guys are trying to do if, if investors are alive to this opportunity here and think this is something that can be revolutionized. Yeah. So, so I think there's a, there's a certain group of investors in Silicon Valley that is, you know, very interested in SaaS, right? And that's their focus. And mm-hmm. this is definitely not an area that those types of investors are interested in. Uh, but then there's, there is a significant number of investors that are, are looking at physical, you know, atom industries that and yeah. how technology of all kinds will change them and also how software is going to change those industries, right? Um, Uber would be, you know, a great example of that, uh, you know, software changing a very logistics and physical operational business. And, and so there is a lot of interest and, and I think increasingly so because the opportunity is becoming more and more obvious as housing crises and, you know, the problem is just getting more pronounced. I mean, is the homelessness issue here, especially in California, I live in Oakland, you're down in LA, I'm sure you see the same, 
horrific things I see in terms of just the amount of people living in tents and under overpasses and everything else. I mean, it's really kind of, it's a crisis. Does any of that play into what you guys are trying to do? It does. It does. And it's a complex issue, right? And I don't Mm -hmm. want to simplify it. There's part of the issue, which is a supply issue, right? Like housing is way too expensive. And that's the part of this problem that we're working on specifically. Of course, there's a whole healthcare and public policy part to this this issue as well, which is not something that we're currently focused on. But the, the part of it that we are working on is how do we make housing something which is, you know, can, can go up quickly, can go up at a price that is much lower than it is today so that we can build housing, build beautiful, you know, healthy homes that everyone can afford and live in, right? And how do we increase the supply and, and make it so that we don't have to take four years to permit permit a hundred unit apartment building? How does that process become a three month or six month approval process? And then we build it in, in three months instead of yeah. two years. In a world where we've succeeded, housing is now abundant, it's fast, it's adaptable, right? We, we can now go in and, and update and upgrade housing, add stories if we need to more easily. Um, it's really kind of taking Lego, like the Lego approach, right? And and saying we can we can make this really conventionally complex problem something that's simple and quick. Right. In San Francisco, famously, I think it's I can't remember the exact stat, but it is something like it takes four and a half years and five or six hundred thousand dollars to put up a single unit of affordable housing. And a lot of that, most of it is about planning and red tape and permitting and all of that stuff. And then you get to the construction, which is a whole other thing. But, and this is the same thing for, you know, UK listeners, uh, getting planning permission to do anything is very, very cumbersome. And it feels like it is almost like the biggest hurdle to putting up new housing. Do you have any visibility in how that may change or how your approach may help with that? Yeah, we, we do. And, and I think that there's a couple of things, right? The cities want to make sure that whatever is being built is safe. And when you have every building is a one-off, right? Where literally every part of that building has been designed specifically for that structure. Um, they have to go through it with a fine tooth comb. And that's not all of what why it takes so long. You know, some of it is just slow or there's a backlog or there's other issues. But a lot of the reason is because they have to go through a lot. And what we have is we've got a, a system that we use for all our buildings. And the way it actually works here in California is that we get our system approved and the system is approved. It is automatically approved for every building that you deliver. So we still have to submit for permits for each building, um, but those permits are looking at a much more narrow scope, right? Things like, is it in the right place in the property? Is it too tall? They're not looking at, you know, is the wall composition the right insulation? Because that's already been approved at a state level. I see. And and we think that a similar approach like that, I mean, this is how we're approaching it right now here in California, but that's where we see the future going, right? Instead of cities or, or states or even countries uh, looking at buildings as one-offs, uh, you know, they, they pre-approve systems and then those systems can be iterated on and configured all over the place and much more efficiently. And what is the cost difference relative, say, you know, say you put up a 2-1 kind of apartment or whatever you want to call it, a housing unit, a two-bedroom, one-bath. What is the cost of that relative to, you know, a traditional model? Yeah, the approach that we're taking here, it's a bit of the Tesla approach where we're starting off with a high-end product. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the reason we're starting off with a high-end product is because we're trying to prove to the world that building homes in a factory 
isn't a compromise. In fact, it can be way better than conventional construction. So that's what we're trying to prove to the world. So we're starting off with a high-end product. And, and what that means is that the appliances that you're getting, the finishes that you're getting, they're what you would normally get if you hired the top architects and the top general contractors in your city to design and build your home, right? And, and, and when I say like top, you know, I'm not talking like top 10%, I'm talking like top 1%. So that's the approach that we're taking. Even with that approach, it would cost you know, anywhere from 50% more to twice as much to get the same kind of quality and design look and feel and finishes using a conventional process. It's kind of like saying a Tesla is a cheap Ferrari, but it's still an expensive car, right? Or like the Model S specifically. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that's kind of the, that's where we're at. Right. So are we talking like a hundred grand or something? I, I mean, I don't know these numbers off the top of my head, how much it would actually cost to build a two bedroom, one bath, you know, unit, but you know, what kind of numbers are we talking about roughly? So the studios and one bedrooms, they start at around $150,000 and that's an all in cost. So that's not just the unit that includes the permits, the engineering, the design, the foundation, everything. So this is, you know, 150,000 for like a two bedroom, one bath on the, on the lower end, uh, you know, that can be a, the kind of the, the two thirty thousand dollars range and it can go all the way to, you know, three, 400,000, depending on the right. size and depending on what options you pick, right? The size of the fridge, how, you know, do you want an, an oven? Do you want a kitchen Island? There are so many configurations and options here that the price range is quite large depending on what you're getting. And have you had any issues with banks because this is new and because it is a different approach and whatever you say, unproven. And banks, you know, if they were going to lend money against something, they want absolute security and certainty. Has there been any issue with banks saying, mm, you know, we're, basically we're not going to finance this? There hasn't. Um, and, and the reason for that right now is most people are finding that the most affordable and simplest way to finance these is through a home equity line of credit. Oh, I see. And do you think, just kind of stepping back, that this is kind of the future in terms of you know, residential home building, because it feels like, you know, you've got this massive industry and it's kind of done more or less the same way all over the world. And it has been for millennia, effectively. I mean, there's obviously been some automation and machines brought in, but it's effectively the same process. And what you're talking about is quite different and obviously right now very, very niche. But do you think that what you are doing could ultimately supplant, you know, become like the kind of the typical operating model for the industry. Absolutely. I think if you look at the numbers today, 98% of homes are built with conventional methods and 2% are built prefab. We see success as switching those two numbers, right? 98% are built this way. Then you have the 2%, you know, the, the, the true works of art that are you know beautiful, stunning, yeah. one-off masterpieces that are, you know, $10 million. You know, those are then what are made, you know, using conventional methods and it's a work of art. Everything else, you know, we see a future where we're making those in the factory. And how much money have you raised? Uh, yeah, so we've raised in total uh, just over $12 million. When was the most recent round of funding? Uh, the most recent round of funding was uh, earlier 2020. Got you. And that was led by uh, Founders Fund, correct? Yes, uh, Founders Fund and, and the Lennar, uh, who's the largest home builder in the U.S., uh, also invested in that one too. Oh, interesting. Do they have their own prefab business? They don't. How did that come about? Because that's obviously, I mean, in a way, you're kind of theoretically upending their business. And they're obviously a big company. That's an interesting kind of partnership. 
Well, the interesting thing is uh, the, the way Lennar operates is uh, they find land sites, they purchase land, they you know, decide what to develop, uh, and then they partner with local contractors to actually build. So they see us as a potential uh, long-term partner and supplier of homes. And we think that's a very mutually beneficial relationship, right? They, they could be one of our biggest or if not our biggest customer. You know, the problem that we're solving for them is this, you know, shortage of labor that exists, you know, skilled construction labor that exists in the industry. Right. Because how many people are actually involved or man hours are involved in putting up one of your homes relative to a normal house? Well, that, that's, a, that's exactly what we're solving for, right? Where labor in construction is typically anywhere from 30 to 50% of the cost. We're taking that 30 to 50% and we're, we're making it, you know, less than five. Now, some of that labor is now more skilled, right? It's CNC machine operators and production floor technicians. So some of it is very skilled labor, but it's still taking, you know, and, and making it into an industrialized process. And was there one thing you had to do or a goal you had to hit or something you had to prove to raise that $10 million round from Founders Fund at Lennar? What was the thing they were like, oh, okay, this actually isn't a science project. This actually might have some legs. I wish I could pinpoint the one thing. <laughs> I, I, I can't. Uh, but but what, what I will say is, is uh, we never treated this as a science project that we would work on, you know, kind of in theory. Yeah. The approach has always been, okay, we have an idea. Let's build it and test it and prove that it actually works. Right. And so when we you know, gave Founders Fund and Lennar a tour of our factory, you know, was it at the point where, you know, we would like it to be? No. Right. But, but they already could see the innovation and the change and the fact that we were approaching this problem from the ground up, right? And they could see you know, how the panels are connecting. They toured a unit that we had delivered. So what they saw was clear progress towards that vision of making you know, thoughtfully designed and well-built homes for everyone you know, via production lines and, and algorithms. Right. What was your worst day of work? Oh, boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Often, sometimes people have to think about this one, or sometimes people immediately know, and then they have to decide whether they actually want to say it. <laughs> you know, I think team is everything. And there have been times where just where someone is in their life and what we need and what, what we're covers at isn't the right fit. And, you know, a day where we've lost an incredible employee that comes to mind, team is everything, right? We're constantly recruiting top engineering talent, software engineers, mechanical engineers, manufacturing engineers from, you know, automotive, aerospace, all over the place. And losing, you know, you know a team member, uh, uh, you know, someone that's become a friend as well. Uh, that, that's hard. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's hard. Oh, and then lastly, before I forget, the difference between, so I understand what you're saying around the finishes and how it's put together, but what is the difference in cost in terms of what you are doing relative to other prefab models? Because obviously, the whole idea around prefab is theoretically it costs less and you can just plop something down and it's ready to go. And I understand what you guys are doing is different, but what is the difference cost-wise in terms of what you're doing versus the other 2% that are made by, you know, of the market that's made by prefab now? Yeah. So the way I would explain it is, so we are very competitive on price, even though our, our quality is much higher. So we're, we're ballpark where everyone else is today on price, but our quality is much higher. Um, now, if you are strictly looking for you know the cheapest way to build a backyard home, your best bet is probably conventional construction today, 
you know, or one of the other prefect companies that focuses on super low cost and doesn't care at all about finishes and quality, right? And there are some of those players. We've specifically chosen to take the route, you know, the Tesla route, right? Where we're starting off with a high-end product and proving that this is a better approach so that as we ramp up on volume, we reinvest into manufacturing and tooling in the factory. We lower the costs and make it a mass market product. Kind of like, you know, going from the Roadster to the S and then to the Model 3, similar approach. And just so just to understand, just to cover that off. So you're saying if, if you want to go like kind of in terms of cost, get things done for the cheapest, it's the traditional route. So how does that square with you guys being able to do this for 50% less? Is the difference in just the finishes and what the, the final product is that you are providing? Yes. If you tried to build something of a similar product to us, you would not be able to do it for you know at least 50% more, if, if not you know like twice as much. Well, cool. Well, just given the state of California and generally the world, but particularly California and our housing crisis here, I, w- I wish you all the luck and I hope your version of the Model 3 is coming soon. <laughs> Thank you, Danny. Thank you. And, and uh, we're excited to, to, to get there as fast as possible. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Alexis for taking the time to talk. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And of course, for giving a rating and review to the podcast. Because when you do that, as you know, it helps other people find the show. And it makes me feel good about myself, which is a bonus for me. Anyhow, that's the show for this week. If you are interested in the GameStop stuff, everybody is. It's an amazing story. It's kind of totally bonkers. I will be writing about that in this weekend's Sunday Times. So check that out at thetimes.co.uk or in the paper. And that's it. Have a fantastic weekend. And I will talk to you next week. Bye-bye. with Rachel Sylvester and Alice Thompson, a weekly series of in-depth interviews with high-profile figures examining how overcoming the challenges of their early lives shaped the people they've become. This week, Anne Summers CEO Jacqueline Gold talks candidly about her parents' divorce and how she coped with a shocking period of childhood sexual abuse. They say the best form of revenge is success, and I believe that. It was just turning something negative into a positive. Past Imperfect with Rachel Sylvester and Alice Thompson, Jacqueline Gold, in her own words. Now available as a podcast. Listen on the Times Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.